and welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have with us a very special guest. I have to say a friend of the pod. She and my executive producer are really good friends. And I don't know about some of the people she rolls with, but I can tell you that she is awesome. Phyllis Dickerson, what's happening? How are you? I'm good. I'm good, Bakari. How are you? I'm doing well. Phyllis has the amazing task of leading the African-American Mayors Association, which as I tell folk all the time, being a mayor is one of the most difficult jobs in America. But we start each episode in the same way. And I think our, our listeners like it. We have our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. And you've done a little bit of everything in politics from working in government to advising ele- elected officials to your philanthropic work to now leading this organization. How did you get into politics and who were some of the folks who you worked with who helped shape your view of public service? So I started in politics because I had a limited services contract with the city of Little Rock to plan the 50th anniversary of the Little Rock Nine. I graduated from Little Rock Central High, so it was a great honor for me to do that. And at the end of the 18 month contract, the city manager came to me and said, I heard you would like to stay. I said, oh, somebody lied to you because when I came to city (laughs) government, I didn't know what an RFP and an RFQ was. So to say the least, they assigned a a city attorney to me to make sure that I didn't do the wrong thing. Um, And so I ended up staying. And by that time, we had a newly elected mayor. Um, His name is Mark Stodola. And he asked me to be his chief of staff. And so hmm. I became his chief of staff. And then when the, um, then he finished his term after 12 years. And then the new mayor came on board, newly elected, uh, Mayor Frank Scott Jr. And then- Oh my gosh, shout out Frank Scott. Yes. And then Frank asked me to help him with his transition of his team. So I stayed on for another three months to help him with his transition. So I worked under three mayors. I mean- the patience that you have to exude. I mean, uh, it's similar to the patience I exude around this law office on a daily basis, but the patience that you have to exude working for mayors. Talk about some of the unique challenges that mayors face that, and we'll get back to your career, but the unique challenges that mayors face that others don't, like in the state house, we don't have to deal with trash pickup or crime on that particular level. Talk about those unique challenges. And, and people forget that mayors are human people, that they're human also. They have feelings and all those things. Um, you know, normally when you go to church, you don't see your congressional member and things like that. But when you go to church, you actually see the mayor. And so he can't he or she can't just really enjoy the service and say, glad to be in the service one more time because somebody's saying you didn't pick up my trash. They can't go to the grocery store um, and, and just shop peacefully at the grocery store, go to the park and that kind of thing with their kids because they're, they, they don't get to take the mayor's jacket on and off. It's like mm-hmm. a coat of armor. You wear it everywhere you go. Um, you know, they've, they've dealt with COVID this year. They've dealt with climate change. They've dealt with riots, protests. I mean, you name it. And they've had it all. Recession, um, you know, budget issues, everything you can think of has happened in the last two years. And so any mayor that survived these two years, we need to applaud them instead of criticizing them. Let me tell you a funny story, Phyllis. You'll appreciate this. When I was in the state house, I represented a poor county, Bamberg County. And uh, this lady kept calling. I told this story before, so some of my listeners may remember. But she kept calling the office and she kept saying, why don't we have, um, you know, county animal control to come and get this raccoon out of my attic? And I said, ma'am, we're just too poor for that. We don't have a county, county official. She called my office three times. I would get the little messages on the pink sheet. 
And finally, I called. I said, Mom, if you don't have dead, go up there and get that raccoon <laughs> out of the attic. She was the worst. So, I, I mean, I get what they what mayors have to deal with. I mean, let me just ask you a very real question. Like, I, I what keeps you doing this work? I ask because as someone who's kind of in politics, got a toe in it, but not completely in the game like I used to be and who personally experienced the the pain and the, the burnout from this work. What keeps you in politics in this local game, knowing how much of a toll it can take on people? So I will say that I'm a legacy as it relates to local government. So mm. my mom worked in state government, county government, and local city government. She oversaw programs way before you were born. Like the, you've heard people talk about the government cheese program, where they issued out government cheese and those kind of things. My mom oversaw that program in our city. Uh, energy assistance program, uh, where you assist people with, uh, you know, the payment of their utility bills and things like that. So I grew up in it. Um, never did I think that I would do it myself, uh, but now I understand the why. Like she, she helped me to understand why all of that was important because I used to always think, now why are we giving people just cheese and beans and you know? But now I hear stories from adult people that you know they spent their summers making grilled cheese sandwiches and living off of that what we call government cheese. Uh, so I grew up in this environment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Uh, for people who haven't heard of the African-American Mayors Association, what is it? What does it do and how long has it been around and why is it necessary? So it's a 501c3, as you know, it was established in 2014 under the leadership of then um, Mayor Kevin Johnson out of Sacramento, who was a former NBA player, too, and Stephanie uh, Mash Sykes, who uh, now works for the Department of Transportation. So they co-founded the organization. But it's important because our issues, some of them may be the same, but the way we deal with them may be different. And so we have the opportunity to advocate for policy, um, you know, just like the Haitian immigrant issue that we saw play out. We saw it differently than other people uh, that don't look like us. And so when we saw people riding on horses and, and getting whipped, we went all the way back to slavery on that, on that picture alone. And so we were able to call the White House, advocate and say, this is unacceptable and this should never happen again. So we advocate for policy. We do some training and development for our mayors, because as you know, uh, many of your friends are mayors. And so they're getting younger and younger. Uh, and so, and so they, they, we definitely do some training and development when, you know, when necessary. Oh, they, they need it because <laughs> they get the job. And I know some of them don't know what the hell they about to do. Shout out to Chris Hollins and Amanda Edwards and everybody and their mama running for mayor of Houston. 
Yeah. And then we share best practices. You know, it's easy to pick up the phone um, and call your, your peer and say, can you, can you walk me through this? Can you tell me what you did? I heard you had a successful story. And so we use our newsletter and our voice, our podcast, things like that to help share those best practices. Mm. So let me ask you this. This is a weird question, but I think I think in this audience and with my group, my group and my show, I think people understand why I'm asking it. But why do black mayors matter to black people? I think it's worth articulating how you've anecdotally seen black local leadership play out to the benefit of black folk. So as you saw things like this year, no knock warrants, choke mm. colds, mm. things like that play out in our cities. Um, we understand what the issue is. And because we're black mayors or because we have those black mayors, they were able to get new policy put in place to eliminate those types of things in their cities. And those things have been around for generations. You know, it has been legal for generations. But black progressive mayors saw it differently. They saw it play out live and in living color. And, and so they were able to advocate for new policy in their cities to eliminate things like that. I mean, we always talk about local leadership, but there is something to say about the local leadership. And, you know, Jackson, Mississippi, Charlotte, North Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, what uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. I mean, all of these places, Birmingham, Alabama, you, you're beginning to see just recently Mayor, Mayor Randall Wolfen not only just vacated uh, marijuana, uh, simple possession of marijuana, but he also uh, vacated a bunch of ticket infractions from 2011. And you just see the impact that it has on people's lives ever being able to move forward. And, you know, it's it's probably the first time that many of our listeners have heard that there are organizations created specifically for mayors. So do you mind explaining the difference between what you do and groups like the National League of Cities and the U.S. Conference of Mayors? And so for our organization, we are unapologetically a black mayor's organization. So uh, criteria, you have to be black and you have to be a mayor. We both advocate for policy. Uh, <laughs> it's but, in the name, people. It's, it's in the, the name. Na- it's in the name. <laughs> um, and then for uh, National League of Cities, they represent 19,000 cities and towns around the U.S., but they normally represent men and small cities. We represent all of them. So of the top four cities around the U.S., three of them are on our board. Mayor Eric Adams in New York, Mary Lloyd Lightfoot in um, Chicago, and Mayor uh, Sylvester Turner, who is our president in Houston. The only city we don't have right now is Los Angeles, and that may be on the way. That's changing. I mean, Karen Bass all day, every day, twice on Sunday. I mean, that's that is that is who we're supporting. So one of the things that I appreciate about the work that you do and the services that you provide, particularly to small rural cities, uh, is that you help them understand Washington. You help them secure resources for their communities. Talk about all the work that your small town mayors like Mayor Butler from Orangeburg and other small cities do and how important is it that organizations like yours to help or exist to help them actually connect those dots because they can't afford the big lobbyists, et cetera. No, and, and they don't know sometimes how to get in contact with the agency. So it could be a DOT issue or things like that. And so what we do is we actually put them in contact via email, via telephone. I'll call the Department of Transportation. I'll call Maurice or Charles and I say, listen, I need you to call this mayor. They have specific issues or even EPA, um, you know, and so and so we connect the dots for them. Um, 
you know, on a continuous basis. And then sometimes it's even the little things like the visit to the White House when we did the bill signing. You know, 20 of our mayors were at the bill signing and normally we're not at the table. We're there advocating. But then when it comes to the to the signing, we're not there. Uh, where there is the Black History Program, we got invited this time. We're about to get invited to a new event that I can't talk about right now, but we're oh, going to have a new go. one up and coming. And and it's it's really nice for, uh, you know, for mayors to actually visit the White House. We pay for it, but we don't get to we don't get the invitation to come and see it. <laughs> you mentioned all of those mayors that you had from those those big cities, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Houston It was soon to be Los Angeles. And can you help listeners understand why that matters and what that says about the state of black political power? Um, so what people probably don't know is of the top 20 cities around the U.S., we represent 45 percent of them. And so oh, wow. and so with that in mind, when we start to um, take over, I guess I would say, our, our major urban cities, then people start to pay attention and notice when we come in, um, we're able to not, not only advocate for dollars, but get that funding that is necessary for your city, because we may word it different, uh, look at it different, uh, talk different. Uh, and so with all those things in mind, then we, we have the opportunity to say, look, this does not work. We have the opportunity to sit at the table with the White House and the White House pays attention when those when those big city mayors come to the table and they say, OK, now what is it you need? This pass through money is not working. We don't have we don't play in the sandbox well with our governor. So don't <laughs> send my money to to, you know, to, the, <laughs> the state. to a state agency. You can't right. send it to no state agency. We right. ain't going to see it. We're not going to see it. They don't play well together in the sandbox sometimes. And so sometimes we just have to, you know, step up and say that. Or sometimes if the um, if there's no technical assistance, to your point, mid and small cities, they may not have a grant manager or a grant department. And so that means they need technical assistance to get the necessary funding that's available. Are you familiar with and I know uh, this is something that, that you may or may not be familiar with, but the town of Mason in uh, Tennessee, I believe, just recently where the comptroller attempted to take over this black city because I believe it was a Ford plant that was coming in and bringing those additional resources. Talk about the type of you, you. You made me think about it when you talked about that kind of rub between your, many of your red state uh, governors and these um, more progressive mayors. Talk about how cities navigate that. And have you ever seen any racist shit like that happen in recent history? I mean, uh, you know, some things are more blatant than other things. Let's just say that. Uh, and so with that in mind, yes, I know about the story because I was the one that forwarded it to Jared. And so Jared sent it to you. Uh, so it's alarming to think that a city or it's really a town. So it's a small um, it's a small town with about twelve hundred uh, people. Sixty five percent at least are black. Um, they had the amazing opportunity to seize the Ford electric vehicle plant in their city is coming to their city, which means an increase in housing, jobs, mm -hmm. everything. And so resources. because of, yeah, resources, they're basically going to have to rebuild their city in order to accommodate this big opportunity, right? And so, you know, with, with that comes big contracts. And so people don't want sometimes you to control the contracts. When you, call contracts when you control that, you control the money. And it's all about the money at the end of the day. And so that comptroller for that county is trying to come in and make that city give up their charter for really no good reason. 
And so that city just has to stand up. And AMA has uh, contacted the mayor of that city. Um, I'm waiting on a return call now to see what, see if we can lend our voice, highlight the story and say, no, this, this is unacceptable. When, when BMW went into Spartanburg, they didn't take the city charter. They didn't ask for it. So when did this become part of doing business? Yeah. And already due to the, uh, the light that's been shined on this issue, um, that the comptroller is scaling back his, his takeover. So I don't know what that means, but we shall see. Well, well what I will say about that is sometimes people think they can do things because nobody's watching. Once oh, you yeah. start to shed light on it, then it looks a lot different. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Awesome. Let me ask you this question. How do you feel like this White House effectively leverages black mayors? And by that, I wonder if you think that the White House uses black mayors to talk about the things that this administration is doing for our local communities effectively. Could your mayors in particularly be better utilized by this White House? I think they're some of the best messengers, no doubt. They are definitely the best messengers. And what I will say with uh, the president's intergovernmental affairs team, Julian Gabe, and Evan, they have done an amazing job. They probably email me or call me every other day. Tell us what's going on. What do you need to talk about? Are you having any issues in any area? When they want to do a call, they'll get on the phone and say, can we talk to 20 of your mayors? Can we put them on the phone? You decide who it's going to be. And we talk about real issues. I talked about the Haiti piece. That was a call with the White House. And they got on the phone from Homeland and said, we apologize. We, we are sorry. We understand how that mm -hmm. visual affected you. And that won't happen again. I mean, that's really good to know. How can people support the work that you're doing at the AAMA? And how can people learn more about you and your organization? So definitely go to our website, um, ourmayors.org, and you'll find out everything you need to know. In fact, this morning, uh, shout out to Mayor Justin Bibbs in Cleveland. He just became a new member of the organization. Brand new mayor. I think he's only 34 years old. But we are behind him and we're excited about that opportunity. Mayor Dickens, who out of Atlanta has become a new member, Mayor O'Neill out of uh, Durham. A lot of these are first time, uh, you know, black mayors in their cities, especially Mayor O'Neill in, um, in Durham. Well, definitely. Thank you so much for hanging out with us for a little while today, Phyllis. I love you. I got to go back to the House of Prayer with you next time I'm in D.C. But thank you for uh, joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. Thank you. Thank you.